morning. Thank you, Brother Richard. You warmed up my message, <laughs> meaning I'm going to speak of the same things. But praise the Lord, they will, the messages will certainly agree with each other today. Um, my message is called the first advent of the Lord. The first meaning Christ coming, the second is when he comes for his bride sometime here in the future. Um, the first is what we celebrate this season, uh, the nativity birth. Um, so we'll go on, we'll uh, dig a little bit deeper into the same message. Um, I will not speak of John, but he came to prepare the way of the Lord. But we'll talk about uh, my text is in First John. Uh, chapter 1. Advent was actually last week, but since John didn't talk about it, we will this week. First, first week of uh, December, which is the preparation of all these, the four weeks leading up to Christmas. <clears throat> last week we were treated with some wonderful singing by the young people. Thank you very much. It's always very special. Advent, as you know, means coming. And during the season, we Christians prepare for Jesus' coming. There is an expect, expectant waiting and preparation for both the celebration of the nativity of Christ at Christmas and the return of Christ at the second coming. Now, Let's stop and meditate here a little bit. When we think of the second coming, as a boy, I, there was some fear that sprang up when I heard of uh, mom talking about the yingstatog, the yingstatog, meaning Christ's second coming. The young, the young yingston means the young day, the last day. And as we have this festive mood in front of us and Christmas and all these warm thoughts of, of warm houses and crackling fires and candles and lovely colors and just warmth of family. And I, I too look forward to all that and I will not speak evil of it. It's a wonderful time. I love it. I love Christmas. But when we think of Christ's second coming, we think of him coming through the air. We think of the heavens opening up and we see the angels forming two lines. And we see right in the center Christ coming in a white horse. He is coming for his bride. What, what are some of the mental pictures that we can think of at this second advent? Does it, does it bring a joy to our meditation or does it bring a twinge of uh, I'm not quite ready I had some plans yet I'm looking forward to this yet I'm looking forward to that um, looking forward to to these good things in our life are, are good but what comes to mind when we think of the Yingstatawuk Christ's second coming 
And I want to lay that on your hearts this morning, this burden, is are we looking forward to his appearing? And especially in this holiday season, or do we, is our heart so full of materialism and, and gifts? And I haven't brought this, somebody a gift here, and I am thinking of this, and this will, this will really deplete my bank account, and all these little things going on in our minds, where we, and I want, these, these thoughts should be always in our minds of, of the second coming, and I, I don't want to challenge you here only in this season, but as we think of the first advent, we need to think of the second advent. Because this is why Christ came, was to prepare his bride. So, and, and I'm challenged with this as well. I, in, in a lot of ways, I'm looking forward to his return. I'm looking forward to those that have passed on, loved ones in my family. And, and the more, the older we live, the more loved ones pass away and the more we have look to look forward to. But it's what is, what is truly our desire, is our, is our desire to, to meet God, to know more about God. It should be a continuation of our love of Christ here on earth. Um, Latin Adventus is a translation of the Greek word parousia, commonly used to refer to the second coming of Christ. So this literally means, Advent means the second coming of Christ. Uh, the tradition dates back to mid-19th century when uh, German Protestants made chalk marks on the doors or lit candles to count the days leading up to Christmas. Gerald Lang is widely considered the producer of the first printed Advent calendar in the early 1900s. Um, some more facts. Advent is the period of four Sundays and weeks before Christmas, or sometimes from the first December to Christmas Day. Advent means coming in Latin. It is the coming of Jesus into the world. Christians use the four Sundays and weeks of Advent to prepare and remember the real meaning of Christmas. More importantly, the first Advent serves to remind us about the coming or second Advent of Christ. For us today, this should be emphasized as being the most important emphasis. Uh, we Christians like to celebrate the nativity part of Christ's coming, but we often fail to celebrate the, the anticipation of the coming of the Lord in glory. And this is what I spoke about here, is when do we get together and have a holiday for Christ's second coming and celebrate his second coming and, and sing songs about his second coming. And indeed, if we did more of that, I think, we would have less trouble in this world with the flesh. And in the midst of persecution, we see Christians in the past and present that have celebrated the second coming more as they were facing more persecution. My heart cringes to wait for certain times of the year to be reconciled to God or to brothers. But during this time, we should not only use this time to celebrate, but do some deep heart searching and waiting. Searching and waiting for what? For the expectant, expectant and inevitable return of our Lord and Savior, especially in these tumultuous time, days of uncertainty where we experience wars and politically uncertainties. In addition to that, let us consider in our increasingly secular age 
how can we sustain the true value and the true meaning of Christian of Christmas? Let's open up our Bibles to First John chapter one. And we'll also touch on the nativity scene later on when Christ came in the flesh. Very, very important. First John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was, any, was not anything made that was made, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighted every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, but as many as received him. To them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Amen. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Think of that. It is God's will that all may be saved. In verse 14, and we'll end with this, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. How was he made flesh? He started just like you and I. He started as a babe. He was made flesh. He went through all things like as we are. And he did not sin. Why did Jesus come? To destroy Satan's work. We see this in 1 John 3, chapter 3, verse 8. And he that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So we can see whosoever is born of God would look forward to the second advent. He does not commit sin. For his seed remained in him. He's looking forward to the second advent. Because he is born of God. And we in this way the children of the devil are manifested. They will fear the second advent. They will fear his coming. They do not want judgment upon their heads. But now is the time, now is the season. He wants, and we read it up here, he desires all to come to the grace, to, to truth. While Jesus' work on the cross is finished, we still face daily principalities and powers of this world. He has been beat at the cross, but it is still up to us personally 
to experience that truth by faith, discipline, and dying to self. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we read, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is as a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who had called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. The late Dr. Raymond Brown, none of you know him, but he used to be principal at the Spurgeon's College in London. He has passed on. But he tells in one of his commentaries of how he was a postman while he was a student. Raymond Brown had one particular house as a postman that he came on his route where there was a very ferocious dog. That dog scared the daylights out of him. When he opened the gate, he heard his horrible snarls and he closed the gate immediately. He decided to go to the next house, putting the letters for the previous house into the next door neighbor's house figuring that the man would then be able to take them back to the neighbor, and presumably he was better capable of tolerating the dog than Raymond Brown was. Nevertheless, he was on a circular route, and so the next day at Christmas, he go back regularly. The next day, he goes back again, and still the horrible snarling dog of which he was afraid. This went on for a few days. Eventually, he said, this is crazy, I must go in. And as he went in and went ahead to the door, the dog made a great bound towards him. And as he stepped back, he discovered that it was chained to a stake in the middle of the courtyard. And the stake was in concrete, and the big ugly dog could make all the noise it wanted, but it could not reach him. Now, my brethren, this is the picture of Christ's victory in Calvary over the evil one. He is chained to the stake which was put outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And on that chain, he may snarl and roar and he may make noise and grab for us and give us temptations. But Christ came to destroy the devil's work. But like the postman, we must overcome the evil one. His evil reign is finished, but we have to gather the weapons of our warfare together and be watchful to not enter into his realm. If you enter into his realm, you will be bitten, you will be overcome, you will be overtaken. But if you stay out, you will be safe. 1 John 5.18 We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and the wicked one toucheth him not. The purpose for Advent is to show us and the people around us who God really is. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he had appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, 
who being in the brightness of, of his glory and the express image of his person and upholded all things by the power of his word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sin, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he had by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than thee. If you trace, if you trace through the Old Testament, you'll discover prior to Jesus being born in a manger, there was a growing intellectual apprehension of what God was like. The Jewish people, by the time you get into the minor prophets, they knew more about the nature of God than ever had been known in earlier biblical history. They understood that he was a holy God. They understood that he was a mighty, powerful, all-knowing. They understood all that in their heads. But they were morally like monsters or like swine. So they had great intellectual understanding of God, but at the same time, the prophets constantly were telling them and yelling to them, you better get back in line. You're off here. You need to do this. You need to do that. You're out of line. You're morally wrong and you're sinful. If we trace history, the development of human history from the time of Christ up to our present day, you will discover the exact same thing is true. There is an increased intellectual understanding about God, so much so that man in his great discoveries about who or what God might be has either removed God completely or has reduced God to a non-moral being who cannot possibly be known, who is not interested in our lives and who couldn't interfere if he chose to. The world has happily now removed God from their experience and have come up with ways to explain the world in some other way, some self-concocted um, ingredient of their own. They have come up with ways in which to explain the origins of the universe, of why we are here and where we're going. History goes in cycles. Our Lord Jesus came in 81, right in the middle of this history, past and present, and stands like a huge mountain, unmoving, patiently waiting, for mankind to know him as their God and Savior. But it is a human choice, and it will always be one. In the year of our Lord, in AD 1, God came in the flesh. Why? To show us who the Father truly is. What truly are his desires for man? To show mankind that they can have a right relationship with the Father. For those that truly want to follow him, he will make himself known. For those that truly want to follow him, to this day, he will make himself known. Jesus was manifested to make a way to the Father. Christ came in the flesh. Last week we heard that he who says that Christ came not in the flesh is an antichrist. Let's read how he came in the flesh. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We'll start in verse 8. 
And they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you this, for unto you is born this day in a city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Goodwill toward all men. And it came to pass, as angels, as the angels were going away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord had made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the prophets. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. And when the eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. We'll stop there. Well, let's look at verse 16 again. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. This was God lying there in the manger. Can you comprehend that? Mary didn't. Mary could not fully fathom what was going on. But she hid these things in her heart. And she dwelt on them. And she, she was amazed. She stayed in a state of amazement with Jesus throughout her life. First Timothy 3.16 And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on, on in the word, received up unto glory. He was revealed in the flesh. John chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet thou hast not known me? Philip, he that had seen me had seen the Father, and now how sayest you? Show us the Father. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works sake. This is where you take that God was laying in the manger. The very God. And this makes it a very, very, very important happening. Here was God lying in the manger. <coughs> it is very serious. It is a very, um, it is a worthy gift 
to take, to possess, and to claim. It, is a great, it came at a great cost to God, but it was always his will. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he also do, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, and the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Why did Christ come? To reconcile us unto God, to bring about the unity with God that Adam and Eve destroyed. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.19 Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them. He was committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Advent is a plea. It is a plea to be first reconciled to God yourself and a plea that we reconcile others to God. And our time is very short. Advent season is one of these times where it's good to reflect not only on the first coming, but on the second coming. But to think and meditate on our own mortality. Now we may think of Christ's returns and we may think that it's still out a little bit because the Antichrist has not been revealed yet. There's so some things that need to be happening. So in our mind we think hey, that's, that might not happen in our, in our lifetime. We don't have to be so concerned about that. And that may be true. It may not be, but it may be true. That it might not happen in our lifetime. But in your lifetime, you will die. And in your lifetime, you, you don't know how long that will be. It could be today. We might be in an accident. We might suffer an aneurysm. We might have a heart attack. We might have cancer. We might, so and so on. We are very vulnerable to die. So it doesn't really matter if Christ comes or not. We will die within our lifetime, which is very short. Thinking of that in that way, in our mortality, not thinking of Christ coming, therefore, it, it makes us a lot more sober to think about our own mortality. So are we preparing for the advent of our mortality? As we meditate on the various funerals we have attended and observed over the years, we have no idea when that advent of Christ will come to us, literally, when we pass from this world. In this busy time, we need to slow down. We need to check our hearts. 
We need to prepare our hearts to receive the promise of what Christ's child would mean for us personally and a redemption of the world. It is a time to reflect on where we stand with God's primary purpose for all of us, the church, to bring forth the ministry of reconciliation, meaning we must be about the business of imploring people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. To challenge people, are you reconciled to God? Are you ready for the second advent? To ask questions, to challenge others. Are we preparing this Advent time for Christ's return with the purity of this hope, this love that we are called God's children? Have we kept our heart alive with the hope at the birth of, at the birth of the Christ child? Have we lost sight of the hope we have? But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. This is a tremendous opportunity and it's ours. Someone asked Wayne Gretzky, the great hockey player, how he managed to become the best goal scorer in the history of the game. I don't know if that's still up to date, but he was a great goal scorer. And what he said, he simply replied, while everybody else is chasing the puck, I go where the puck is going to be. Has our heart been tuned into where you're going to be in eternity? Is our life like the anticipation of that puck gone in preparation of a pass? Most importantly, are we actively standing in readiness, not only of our mortality, but actively working out our human members in practical ways of service to the kingdom? In other words, if our hope is with God in eternity, we will be making decisions today that will reflect the hope of that eternity. Or are we chasing after that which will not last or give us a short dopamine rush? These only give us broken dreams, broken peace. The things of this world that will destroy youth, destroy marriages, depreciate, break down, be stolen, be burned away and fade away. They're temporary. At the university, there was a piano teacher that was simply and affectionately known as Herman. One night at a university concert, a distinguished piano player suddenly became ill while performing an extremely difficult piece. No sooner had the artist retired from the stage when Hermes rose from his seat in the audience, walked on stage, sat down at the piano, and with great mastery completed the performance. The crowd erupted with tremendous applause. Later that evening, at a greeting assembly, one of the students asked Herman how he was able to perform such a demanding piece so beautifully without a notice and with no rehearsals. He replied, in 1939, when I was building, when I was a budding young concert pianist, I was arrested and placed in a Nazi concentration camp. Putting it mildly, the future looked very bleak, but I knew that in order to keep the flicker of hope alive, that I might someday play again. I needed to practice every day. I began fingering a piece for my program on my bare board bed late one night. It was simply a flat board where I had my imaginary keys. The next night I added a second piece and soon I was running through the entire program. 
I did this every night for five years. It so happens that the piece I play tonight at the concert hall was part of that very program. That constant practice is what kept my hope alive. Every day I renewed my hope that I would one day be able to play my music again on a real piano and in freedom. How have we practiced remembering with hope of Christ and his return for his bride? What we do for Christ as we walk with him, as we talk to others about him, with prayer of reconciliation, reconciling them to God, as we go about loving the brethren, praying for them, as we do the everyday tasks in life. These things are significant, worthwhile, and beautiful. In closing, I want to say, treat every day as a special occasion to live life with hope, with his spirit, while we wait and bring others to know of this hope in our, in our gracious God. As we remember this first advent, the baby in a manger, and his return for his bride in majesty on the second advent. Amen.